Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. Teach you here today. Um, Christine, you ready to head out? Would you introduce your visitors? You got a whole row back here today. (laughs) Fantastic. Good to see you. Really glad you can make it today. And um, we have uh, some special things coming up. We have Jen Letlow is going to graduate in two weeks. Uh, She's going to get her degree. She's going to be down in... So she won't be with us on Mother's Day weekend. They're going to go down and... She was, they were thinking about not going to the graduation, but they said, no, 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 let's go get down. So good for them. So they're going to be away in two weeks, but she's going to be experiencing or going through uh, her graduation. So that's very exciting. And uh, Enrique is going to be graduating. Actually, maybe same weekend, the 16th. That's about, yeah, I think it's the same weekend. Enrique will be graduating from a New England Baptist College. And uh, something else exciting coming up pretty soon is... Uh, Adam Kosky's having a baby. <laughs> someday soon, someday soon, it'll happen. Yesterday, I hope you don't mind me sharing, I texted Joe and I said, yeah, how are you doing, how was your week, how's Amber doing? And he said, oh, Amber's doing great, just the baby's not ready to leave its comfort zone yet. <laughs> yeah, all right, well, you know, you, you got three great cr- kids, got another one on the way, it's gonna be awesome, right? All right, well, let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter one. And uh, so the last couple of weeks, we talked about, of course, Jesus' triumphal entry, which is uh, very important. I, I, everything in the Bible is very important. There's nothing that's not important. But in a very special way, the triumphal entry was important because Jesus officially, without, without any hesitation, made the official presentation of himself as a king of Israel on that day. And it was exactly 483 years later, uh, earlier, well, 483 years earlier, Nehemiah got the command to restore Jerusalem. The prophet Daniel said 483 years after that day is when you have the coming of the Messiah, the Prince. And that's when Jesus made his triumphal entry. Perfect fulfillment of, of the prophecy. And he, so it was, it was public. Everybody knew. It was Passover week. So Every Jew from all over the world, you're supposed to be in Jerusalem, in and around Jerusalem, because you can't fit in Jerusalem. There's so many people that camped on the hills all around. And that's the day, without any question, Jesus made his triumphal entry, and he presented himself as a king. Then, then last week, we looked, of course, at um, being Resurrection Sunday, we looked at the resurrection, and what incredible moment that was. The crucifixion, resurrection, uh, unbelievable demonstrations of the power of God. With the miracles that happened at the crucifixion, the the, 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 the eclipse, the sun being blotted out, the earthquake, the graves being opened, it's, the veil in the temple. It was absolutely amazing. And then, then the Romans, we covered this last week, sent a guard, uh, guards, plural, to set a guard, to set a watch over the tomb, and he rose from the dead anyway. It's just absolutely amazing. So now that's done. And now in Acts chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 9 in just a minute. This is where... Jesus is ascending up, he's leaving, but that's where the real work begins. It's where those who are followers of Christ, and that that truth goes from then to now. We have the same message that the disciples had back then. 
And it is our responsibility now to, of course, keep standing for Christ, let the world know that he is Christ and that he is coming back, and he is coming back very soon. And so I've entitled today's message, What Victory Looks Like. We're going to start by looking at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And uh, I'll read that aloud. You can read that silently, then we'll pray. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through his Holy Ghost, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being in your house today. And Lord, it's our honor to be here. It's our privilege. Lord, it is our duty, but Lord, it's, it's a duty that we bear with great love and uh, honor. So Lord, we ask that you'd bless your word today. This is the Lord's house. This is the Lord's day. We are your people. And Lord, we ask that you would speak to us. Father, as always, we pray that if there, there, there be any here today that have not yet repented of their sin and trusted Christ to be their Savior, Father, we pray that this would be the day of salvation. We are so thankful for the wonderful messages in your word, unparalleled by any other stories that could ever be told, and absolutely 100% true. Lord, we ask you to bless this time. Use it for your own honor and glory, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at, at this, and this, this may be one of the shortest sermons you've ever heard in your life. I just like saying that, man. Now, someday it will be. Someday it will be shorter than others. But, but uh, what's, what's interesting about this time, and I, I think it's every Easter. I don't look back at my sermon schedule to see exactly what I preach when I preach. I've got a pretty good catalog of them. But I think with, with, without a lot of exceptions, the Sunday after Easter, it's always looking at, well, what did that do? What kind of effect did this have? Because it was, it was unbelievable. This, was, this is the center point of all time and eternity. The, the, the life of Christ, his sinless life, his, his, his vicarious death, his bodily resurrection. This is what all of time and eternity centers on. And, and they were there to see it. And they'd been through a litany of, of emotions and experiences. You know, the first thing we're going to look at in the first nine verses is a look back showing promise. So what does victory look like? And we're looking at it through the eyes of the, of the apostles, of the, of the witnesses at this time, the apostles and more than just the apostles, at, at, at what was going on. And at this time, they had just experienced the resurrection. Matter of fact, in this passage, it talks about the ascension of Christ. 
And I was reading something, and we talked about it briefly in Sunday school. In, in referencing and preparation for today's message, I was reading a little bit about the history of Christianity. And uh, I, I've always in, considered the book of Acts to be the history book of the New Testament. And it absolutely is, no question about it. But it doesn't record all the history. And I thought it would be helpful to mention some other things that were contemporaneous with the events that we're looking at. You know, we've read about Paul and Barnabas and John Mark. John Mark being the one who turned back, right? And then, and then it caused, a, it caused a, a separation between Paul and Barnabas, and Paul goes on his way, and Barnabas, you don't really read about what he does, but he kind of goes his way with John Mark because they were related. Well, guess what happened? About the years 41 to 44 AD, we see a little bit more about the history of Christianity. I just bring this up, not as a main point, but just to kind of color and to, to embellish our understanding of what's going on here, because it's exciting. It's not just Jerusalem. It's all over the place. The history of Christianity in Egypt dates back to the very earliest days of Christianity itself. And the history is, it's not, it's not biblical chapter and verse, but very reliable history, is that Christianity was brought to Egypt by John Mark. He, he was down there. Um, I, it was a very early part of the first century before Paul's writings and his missionary journeys, by the way. Before that, he's down there. And uh, Eusebius, who's a bishop of Caesarea, not a great guy, but he was down there, uh, in his ecclesi ecclesiastic history states that Mark first came to Egypt between the first and third year of the reign of Emperor Claudius. Don't worry, it's not a history lesson. But that place is somewhere between 41 and 44 AD. Jesus died around, uh, depending upon what calendar you use, 30 to 33 AD. So this is 10 or so years after the death of Christ. Mark is bringing the gospel to Egypt. And when he got down there, he, 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 he was in Egypt, then he returned to Alexandria in Egypt about 20 years later, about the same time Paul and Barnabas had their dis disputations. So maybe John Mark at that time didn't go with Paul because he was going down to Egypt. We don't know. But he was of, of high credibility in Egypt, preaching the gospel, and some of the strongest um, marks of oppression, governmental oppression, against the Christians were in Egypt. Just amazing. And I say all that just as like a comma, just as a point to, to reference it, that what we read about the gospel being preached, well, it wasn't just in Jerusalem, but it really started to spread all over the place. And we don't know all the ways and all the people God used to get the word out in all the different places that it went. This is just one clear example that is pretty reliable. And so the disciples, at this time, we read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and Jesus is appearing, uh, or ascending, I should say, uh, from the Mount of Olives. And he says in, in verse 8, one of the most popular verses in the entire New Testament, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Well, John Mark's doing part of that in Egypt. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up in a cloud and received them out of their sight. So this is, they're on the way to victory. This, what we're about to see, and we're not going to cover it today just for time's sake, there's a lot more chapters we could cover, is Christianity is absolutely exploding. And it's not exploding because Jesus is here physically. It's not exploding because Jesus is here, because Jesus isn't here. It's exploding after he left. 
what made the difference? What made the difference was the followers of Christ that were here after Jesus left. They made the difference. God, through them, made an incredible difference. Mark, of course, one example in Egypt, preaching the gospel. He said, why did it make such a difference? You know, they're, they're looking back. So put yourself in the shoes of the apostles. And Mark, by the way, wasn't even an apostle. We have the list of the apostles. He wasn't one of them, but he, was, uh, he, was, he wrote, some say, the first gospel. The others were written later. Not that important. But so many people, they were there. They saw it. They would look at each other. And maybe they'd have conversations, and they'd say, remember when Jesus healed the blind man? Remember when, he, when Lazarus, remember the, the consternation, the chaos that came up when, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, and, and all the religious leaders wanted to kill him? It wasn't that exciting time. Wait, we saw some great things happen. But then what happened was they had the memories of Christ's ministries, the miracles that he had performed. They sensed the, the restoration of the resurrection after bearing the loss at the crucifixion. And everybody was devastated at the crucifixion. Now, maybe they had hope. I think they all had hope of some level. But let's face it. Observation tells you it's not going well right now. He's dead. Our leader, the Son of God, the pure and perfect one who never sinned, has been brutally beaten, brutally treated, nailed to a cross. We saw him die. He's buried. They've never seen anything like this. To someone, if, if you could imagine someone who totally doesn't deserve it, you might think of Aunt B on Mayberry RFD, right? Not exactly your day-to-day your, your -day hoodlum. If you were to run into a chain gang or a motorcycle gang somewhere, you wouldn't expect Aunt B to be running it. You'd say, never would Aunt B be involved in anything like that. Well, exponentially more so than any Aunt B or your grandmother or grandfather you could ever think of is Jesus Christ, the pure and perfect one who spake with authority. He didn't hide from anybody. He demonstrated his power, demonstrated his, his care, his compassion, his love, and they saw him get crucified. They're devastated. But now when we pick up in Acts chapter 1, when all hope was gone, when they felt like, I don't know how this is going to turn around, it got turned around. And now they are, they're on fire. They're like, this is wonderful. They heard, they walked with Christ. The, the day of Pentecost, by the way, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. day of Pentecost, pente means 50. The day of Pentecost happened 50 days after the Passover. Passover is the time when Christ was, was crucified. Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, which we're going to look at in just a minute, was 50 days later, not a long time. And in this couple-month period of time, they saw all these incredible things. They heard and walked with Christ after his resurrection. They looked behind themselves, and they saw incredible reason to hope. They're like, how could we ever have doubted? Why would we ever doubt? And so because of the things that they saw, because of the, the promises in the Scripture, which is what you and I rest on, they had incredible, boundless uh, confidence in bringing the gospel wherever it needed to go. Why? Because they knew that there was a reason for it. They knew that, well, if we preach the gospel, some people would think, oh, nothing can happen to us. We're serving God. Well, that's not true. Look what happened to Christ. Well, that's not true. Look what happened to Isaiah, probably cutting, cutting in, in, in half with the sword. Well, that's not true. Look at Jeremiah. He's lowered into a well and died in Egypt. He, he just all these. So it's not the sense of, well, if I serve Christ, I'm bulletproof. That's not what it is at all. 
But what they knew in their heart of hearts, regardless of what's going on around them, they knew that serving Christ is all that, it's, it's my entire purpose. We cannot lose. I might take a couple knocks, a couple shots, so to speak, but it's all for a purpose. It's all for a reason. They saw Jesus go through it. Paul's about to go through it. And they're looking back on what had happened. And they saw a great promise. Then we look in Acts chapter 2. So they see these things. The death, the burial, resurrection. They're eyewitnesses of this. Eyewitnesses. They saw it. It's all, it's all prefaced on scripture. Perfect, perfectly fulfilled scripture of the Old Testament. They see come into place in front of their very eyes. Now they're ready to experience it. In Acts chapter 2, verses, we'll start with verses 1 through 4. Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared on them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then, just to keep it in perspective, we'll read verses 5 through 8. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? How hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia and so on and so forth. There's amazing things that they're seeing going on. So they saw the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They saw his ascension. They're standing there. I would do this. I mean, who, who would actually stand at the, at the ascension of Christ and, and as soon as he goes up say, well, got to go grab lunch. I'd, I'd stand there for a long time. Just, what have I just seen? You get the sensation that the place you're standing is holy ground. I just saw Christ go back up into heaven. And he said, and, and the angel said, uh, ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing upward? This same Jesus whom ye see go shall so come in like manner. Remember what Jesus said? Go into Jerusalem and wait for me. Wait for the power that's going to come upon them. And what happened was, just a very short time later, the day of Pentecost comes. Day of Pente when the day of Pentecost came, this is what we read. This is the day of Pentecost. This is what happened. They were in one accord, in one place. And it's a, it's a beautiful picture. The, again, the Feast of Pentecost was 50 days earlier. So a very short period of time between the crucifixion and this day of Pentecost, 50 days later. And it says that they're all in one accord, in one place. There is not... So wherever they were, the upper room, wherever they may have been, everybody there was totally on board. Nobody was disinterested. Nobody was unconcerned about what's going on. They're there, and I believe they're passionately connected, thinking, what is God going to do next? Jesus said, go and wait until the Comforter comes, the Holy Spirit comes. Wait for that. You're going to be, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What's that going to be like? I don't think they knew exactly what it was going to be like. But they're waiting with bated breath. They're waiting and saying, God is doing something wonderful. He promised that very soon the Holy Ghost is going to come upon us. And here they are in one accord, in one place. They're in earnest. The Spirit of God comes on them. And it just, 
authenticates everything that's going on, authenticates his presence, and we're going to look very briefly at a couple just fantastic elements about this. And we read in Acts chapter 2, 2, it says, Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each one of them. That's what God does! When he's appeared through scripture, he's, he's came, he came in the, in the form of fire. I'll just, just cite a few of them. Such a perfect fulfillment of the way God works. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, Moses is looking at the bush, and it says, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. God appeared in a flame of fire. In, in Exodus chapter 19, when Moses is on Mount Sinai, in verse 16 it says, And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people in the camp trembled. So there's lightnings and thunder in this demonstration, of, a very special demonstration of the presence of God. God is omnipresent. We don't need to see cloven tongues of fire over everybody to know that God's with us. We have the promise that he's with us. But God's authenticating the message with these miracles that he's doing. And he's, he's really putting his, his stamp of approval on the day of Pentecost where he empowered the church that was at Jerusalem. Church didn't start in Jerusalem. It started back in, Pentecost, in Acts. It started back in the Gospels. That's where the word church comes up. But here they're empowered. And I like to reference this. You've heard me say it more than once. When the tabernacle was built, they assembled all the pieces exactly as God had designed. And then the sacrifices were made. And then the Shekinah glory came down. When the temple was built, it was beautifully built. Ornate, gold, fittings, brazen altar, everything. Exactly as God had designed, given to David to be established and built by his son Solomon. Beautifully put together. Everything looks great. But when the sacrifice was made, that's when the Shekinah glory came down. And in the New Testament... We have everything put together. The apostles, the churches put together, the groups where it's not a building anymore. It's, it's in, it's in the, the apostles, these baptized believers. The church is there. They're there. But when the sacrifice was made, Jesus Christ, then the Shekinah glory came down, and that's where they were empowered. It's God's wonderful authentication of a pattern that he's already demonstrated. One last one, on, how, on this is how God will reveal himself. In Genesis chapter 15, I'll read it. You can turn there if you want. Genesis 15, verses, um, I'll read 7 through 17. A little bit, it won't take long. It says, And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee, this God talking to Abraham. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, Whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? In other words, how do I know this is true? And he said unto him, Take me an heifer, a little calf, of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took, all these, uh, and he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not, because he's not supposed to divide them, just supposed to... And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them off, drove them away. And when the sun was going down, there's a very special appearance of God to Abraham. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abraham, 
Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. Also that nation, this is talking about Egypt, also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and he did. And afterward shall they come out with great substance, and they did. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall come again, come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So God gives them this prophecy of what's going to come. And it came through exactly as he said. Verse 17 says, And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. This is amazing. This is a, a dedication of Solomon's temple. It's just on and on. What, what they're seeing is, they're seeing God's power. They look around. They have the history. They know what happened. They're so blessed to live in the day that they live. They saw Jesus. They saw the miracles. They saw, they saw men being raised from the dead, the sight to the blind, lepers being cleansed. Just an amazing time. And then they saw him brutally beaten and suffer, and then he rose from the dead. And he, he appeared to be, and he was in his glorified body. And now he ascends up in heaven, and he says, but, but now you've got a mission to carry on. Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, he gave it to him. You should, uh, uh, preach the gospel to every creature, going into all the world and preach the gospel. And they, they said, this is something we've got to do. And they did it. Again, Christianity exploded. Not because Jesus was with them, but because the people left behind believed what Jesus told them. And so we see here is a look, uh, a look around showing power. And then lastly, a look ahead showing promise. You know, what does victory look like? Well, victory, victory is usually based upon, of course, some effort by soldiers or any entrepreneur, any, any, anybody involved in any ministry, as it may be. Victory is because somebody had a vision, they put feet to their prayers, and they were, able, they were willing to take upon themselves a great work. That's what, that's what brings a victory. The greatest victory of all we see historically is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this victory that they're going through is happening because these men understood what had happened, the command that was given to them, and they're going ahead and accomplishing terrific things. And our last point today is a look ahead showing promise. In Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 39, this is the day of Pentecost, and the, the preaching's going on, Peter's preaching, and he's telling them in verse 30, for instance, talking about Christ therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn in an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne right after the resurrection of Christ. Preaching to people who've got to be pretty startled because they're not all believers. But everybody heard. Many of these people saw Christ. Oh, we heard he was just a prophet. We, I, I thought the Romans took care of him. I thought the Jewish leaders took care of him. Well, they thought they did too, but they didn't because he's more than just a prophet. He's a Messiah. He's the son of God. He fulfilled the Messianic prophecies of one who would live forever and one who would die because he died and he lives forever. Wonderful fulfillment. And so now in verse 37, Peter's preaching, and as a result of their preaching, as a result of Peter's preaching, it says, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And what was their response? So, so they hear the preach and they're like, I've got to do something about this. I was like this. I know many of you would, if, if we were to take testimonies, you'd, you'd share a similar testimony. I remember after I heard the gospel, I was attending church. I was brought up in a religious environment. I believed in, in Christ and his deity and the Trinity. So I'm thankful that didn't all have to be reconstructed because that's a big plus. But then I got under gospel preaching that said, you must be born again. You need to repent and trust Christ. I remember saying, okay, that sounds fair. I'll think about it. Let me think about it. I don't want to take anything too quickly. And by the way, I, I, would, I would encourage you not to. I would encourage you to think about this. Does this make sense? Let the Spirit of God deal with your heart. Let, let the God clarify. I don't mean procrastinate by any means. But, but don't, don't rush. Just think, does this make sense? And, sh and it was probably a month or so after I, uh, after I started attending an independent Baptist church, I started reading the Bible for myself. I heard that this was true. And I said, okay, okay, let me just check this out for myself a little bit. I read it, and it was true. And I felt what they felt. I was pricked in my heart, and I felt like God was saying to me, okay, now what are you going to do about it? And it, it, was, it was a question I couldn't turn away from. I can't say, I'll pretend I didn't hear it, because that didn't sound like a very manly thing to do, does it? I'll pretend like I don't hear it. Or maybe I didn't see it. I can't talk about it. That didn't fit. If this was really the word of God, if this was really, again, the word of God, the gospel from, from God, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, I need to repent of my sins, trust Christ. Once that became clear, God, it's, it's like a, a finger in the chest. You ever get poked? Now, if a, guy, if a guy pokes another guy in the chest, you're probably going to get slugged, right? That happens a lot. But when God pokes you in the chest, don't go slugging people. Say I heard it at church. But when God pokes you in the chest, it just says, hey, what are you going to do? I felt like I can't turn away from this. I've got to answer this. And that's where they are. They said, when they heard this, they, they said, first of all, hearing about Christ, he fulfilled all that the Messiah was supposed to do, and we crucified him. Many of these people were probably at the crucifixion. If you're Christ, come down from the cross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're encouraging one another. They think he's just a criminal. He's just a false prophet. And then they find out he really is a Christ. And they're like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then Peter said, I'll tell you exactly what to do. Then Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for remission of sins. They were pricked in their hearts. They said, we've got to do something about this. And, and then people started getting saved all over the place. I do want to clarify, we do not believe in baptismal regeneration. It is absolutely true. I'm, I'm not taking away one iota from what he said. Repent and be baptized. That's what we ought to do. Repent and be baptized. But it's, a, it's the calling upon the name of the Lord that saves you. It's not water. It's not water baptism. I'm a big promoter of baptism. It's not the water that saves you. It's once you get saved, then you should be baptized. But he says, repent. That is, we talked about in Sunday school, biblical applications of repentance. What is repentance? It's when any man or woman admits before God the incredible, obvious state of our condition. I've sinned. I've heard people say, I haven't sinned. I'm thinking, that is the craziest thing you could ever say. Why would you lie to me and lie to yourself about this? 
for me, it was not hard. I didn't know all my sin. I didn't know every element of my life that was sin. But I knew I was a sinner. And I knew that I needed to receive Christ. I needed God's forgiveness. And so I prayed. I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. I asked God the Father to forgive me. And that's exactly what he told these people. He gave them the gospel. And he said in verse 39, For this promise, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off. That's talking about us here. And even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then verse 41 through 47, some of the greatest verses in the Bible. What do we do? Well, repent and be baptized. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, every man as, as had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You got 3,000 people getting saved and baptized day of Pentecost, 5,000 later on, and then it multiplied. They're seeing some incredible things here. So they had a history to look back on that showed purpose. They're, they're looking around, and they saw the power. They saw the power of God. They saw death, burial, resurrection, the ascension, the miracles, and then it all came together, and they thought to themselves, why did I even doubt? And then they see the power of this, the promise of this, because now they're preaching to people who really need to hear. Now, the benefit that these people had, these hearers, was a lot of them saw it for their, with their eyes. A lot of them heard about it. And when they, when, they, when they had heard it, when they had seen it, they saw Christ had visibly conquered death, and he's the one and only Savior. The preaching is, has come. The conviction of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They said, they were pricked in their hearts. They said, what must I do? And Peter told them, well, you need to trust Christ. And that, is, that's, that was the, the, the source. That's a measurement of the power that God did back in those days. Wonderful, wonderful days. And guess what? That power hasn't gone away. When believers stand on the promises that God has given, the same power that was manifested then can be manifested against it today. It's not the power of God that is diminished. It's the belief and the confidence of some of the children that these things are so. So our challenge, our wonderful opportunity is to to redo Pentecost, to live like those disciples lived with, with the fervency, with the hope, with the confidence that all these things are true. And then maybe then we can see some of that power also be worked through us in the lives of the people around us. What does victory look like? There you go. First couple chapters of the book of Acts is terrific. And we experience it for ourselves and we trust Christ as our Savior. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we're just going to have a, a quiet moment before God. And um, I remember, and I'm so thankful that God, you know, pricked my heart. You know, I, I didn't know a lot about the Bible, but I believed in Jesus. I did. I believed the Bible was true. I didn't, I didn't know that much about it, but I, I knew that it was reliable, that it was God's word. And when it came together and I understood, I thought about it for a little while, I said, you know what? I need to do that. I need to pray and receive Christ as my Savior. Yep. Yeah, I thought about it. And the answer was clear. And one, one Sunday morning, after the gospel was preached, I was home. 
many others are in church, I got on my knees and I asked God to forgive me for my sin. And I asked Jesus Christ to be my personal Savior. Boy, that's power. Maybe you're like that today. Maybe you haven't trusted Christ. Why not now? Why not now? Pray. Dear God, I'm so sorry. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. And I believe Jesus died for me. He's the son of God. He died. He was buried. He rose again. And I want him as my savior. I'm asking you, Father, please forgive me. I can't do it on my own. My work certainly will never do it. I need to be saved. Please save me. My friends, it's the most important decision a person will ever make. It's a destiny, eternity-changing moment that we have before God. And I'm going to ask you to have a song of invitation. Please feel free to come. We hope that message was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.